0: Hi, I'm Vicki Browning, Chief Executive of Akivo, the network for charity and civil society leaders. Welcome to Leadership Worth Sharing, a podcast in which I talk to civil society chief execs about their careers, their experiences, and what leadership means to them. In this episode, I speak to Matt Whitaker, Chief Executive of Pro Bono Economics. We talk about whether economists can act as a Google Translate service between charities and the treasury, how we can use data to know ourselves, and how to make it unacceptable for politicians and policymakers to talk about the future of the country without including the social sector. Morning, Matt. How are you?
1: Morning. Good to good to see you. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. How are you?
0: Good. Good. I'm fine, thank you. Drizzly, miserable, west northwest London. Uh, whereabouts are you?
1: I'm down on the south coast, so um, I have uh, suffered the lockdown with a sea view and no commute into London, so it's, um, I, I count my blessings.
0: Yeah, how lovely. And it's, uh, we, we're chatting at nine o'clock in the morning, and for you, this is, I think you said this is an early lunchtime. You've already been up and, and busy being economy, an economist since six in the morning.
1: Yeah, I was sort of rolling back the ears because we've got a couple of team members away, so uh, I make them all get up really early when it's labour market stats day. Uh, yeah. so they can do a quick reaction. And it's bitten me on the backside this time because uh, a couple of them were so I've got to step in and do it myself this time. So, right,
0: a bit tired. Right. We mentioned there, economics. You, you're up in the morning uh, looking at the the, the labour market stats and and you're the Chief Executive of Pro Bono Economics. Just tell me a bit about the organisation, what it does, um, what it's for, how it works.
1: Yeah, I mean, in many ways, it does what it says on the tin. So, we provide pro bono economic support to... To charities, social enterprises, to organisations that, that focus on social value. And it was born really out of the financial crisis back in 2008, 2009. Uh, Andy Haldane, Martin Brooks, looking around and saying, okay, the economics profession hasn't really sort of come out of this period uh, smelling of roses. Isn't it about time we, we start to give something back? You know, long tradition of pro bono support in the legal profession, why not in economics? The concept very early on was, well, let's just do something um, and let's work out exactly what that is as we go and so I think the organisation went through a sort of a proof of concept period you know, would, would economists volunteer, would charities want to use them and, and the answer to both those questions was a resounding yes. Uh, as I came in a decade after the organisation was set up, we had more than 700 volunteers on the books from public sector, private sector, academia, all over the place and and more demand you can shake a stick out from, from charities for support. Over that period, obviously refined what the organisation did, and in the period I've been in place for coming up for two years now, we've changed it again a bit, or we've expanded it more than anything else. There's two main functions, I suppose. um, We sort to use the sort of economist language. I think of it in terms of the micro and the macro. So on the micro level, we work with individual organisations, and that's been the model since since the start, really, helping those organisations understand their impact, measure it, communicate it take the data that they have around what their inputs are and what their outputs are and use some economic techniques to turn that into outcomes and impact. So how much of what that organisation has done is actually down to them when you compare it to a control group? And what does that mean for the broader economy? What have we just saved the chancellor of the exchequer in terms of reduced costs? And what have we generated in terms of benefits? That's a large part of what we do. That's that's been the model for a long time. The things we've added over the last couple of years, particularly with the pandemic, not so much prompting it, but accelerating it, were um, almost a dating service, sort of fast track, light touch service, where we said, okay, we've got all these volunteers. Uh, We're not not using all of them by any stretch of the imagination. And we've got lots of organizations who, right now in a crisis moment, doing all sorts of things. Maybe don't want to get into full cost benefit analysis, value for money type studies, but, but might just need someone who can help them open a spreadsheet and run some numbers and draw a chart. So why don't we just match them up? And so we've started doing that um, and actually relaunched that this year as a new permanent uh, feature. And that's going really well as well. So we've sort of got this uh, light touch service with organizations and the, the deeper dive stuff. And then the other new thing which we've introduced, um, which in many ways sort of goes to the heart of, of why I came into the organization, is to take that macro view and add a sort of research and policy element to what we do. So aiming for systemic change, things which, as it says in our mission, seeks to empower the social sector. So using those the tools of economics to uh, run research and studies and develop policy uh, ideas, which are designed to you know, tackle root causes, designed to increase the evidence base that charities and other organisations get to work with, it's basically helping out in a, in, a, in a broader way and pulling different levers.
0: I mean, you said you've come in to the organization on the back of that kind of evolution, if you like, into kind of research and policy. What? Tell me a bit about your background, where, where you've come from. You're an, econo- an economist by birth?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> by birth might be stretching it. I, um, I, always, I always, funnily enough, felt slightly uh, reticent to call myself an economist, even though my actual job title in my old role was chief economist, because went to university, did, did a politics and economics degree. So it wasn't pure economics and didn't sort of hang around once I've got that degree to do any more but the first job I fell into was in consultancy basically doing economics the second job was in parliament basically doing economics and then for um, a decade or more I was at the resolution foundation think tank and sort of went in there as a senior economist and then uh, became chief economist and then deputy chief exec and and so it was very much sort of an economist by doing so I would say, I would say I'm an empiricist someone who likes messing around with data which is why i was a bit six o'clock this morning looking at labor market stats um filling around drawing charts all that sort of stuff not necessarily theoretical uh economics i wish i had more economics history in me but actually i think that the key thing that i think economics can can help us with from a policy perspective which is actually the thing which really sort of gets me going i suppose is is providing insight telling stories shining a light on things that are going on and sometimes pointing out some relatively obvious solutions. At the Resolution Foundation there for a decade, think tank, which focuses on supporting people on low to middle incomes, and you know, generating lots of insight into what was going on in terms of the old squeeze middle, as it was called, this, this idea that uh, there were people who, many people who were working hard, doing all the things that the government sort of encouraged them to do in order to get ahead, and yet we're still struggling, we're still right on the edge and looking at things like minimum wage policies um, benefit system um, housing costs and rent and things like that as a means of you know how can you how can you improve things for that um for that group and So having done a, a sort of decade or so of that the opportunity for pro bono economics just seemed like the next really good fit i didn't see it as a switch into the charity sector i saw it as a switch to another organization that wants to use those economic tools to provide insight and to help to support a better world, basically. And that's been really interesting actually, because coming into to, to PBE and into the charity sector proper, you know, Resolution Foundation is a charity, but PBE is obviously much more, um, charities is more core to what it does. This idea that there is a sort of, that there are separate sectors, that thinking back to when I was at PBE, there was always, uh, sorry, at, at Resolution Foundation, there was always a platform. There was always a journalist who wanted to hear the insight. There was always a politician that wanted to bend your ear and here at pbe it's just a bit more difficult the, the, the interest in the subject matter isn't quite the same and i think one of the things i'm very keen to do is to blur the boundaries really between the sectors to, to remove this idea that there are different sectors and that as, as a professional particularly as a professional economist you work in the private sector or you work in the public sector or you work in the social sector actually an idea that over the course of your career you can just mix and match and move between the three and take the insights and take the knowledge and take the, the best practice from each to the other and one of the things that i'd love for us to do at pbe in the next um, few years is to start to make use of the fact that we've got 700 volunteers in our books to become almost advocates for the social sector within the economics profession so driving awareness and knowledge within the profession So that what we're actually doing is exposing economists to a different way of thinking, to different organisations and encouraging them perhaps to think about jumping across into this sector as well and not seeing it as a a sort of sideways step or something they do towards the end of the career, but actually just part mainstream of this is what being an economist is. It it is getting involved with these sorts of organisations too.
0: I think that's interesting, that idea of blurring the boundaries between sectors. I can see that in terms of permeability, I think it's what you're talking about, people crossing those boundaries, so it's more of an osmosis than a sort of, you know, terrifying leap into, you know, a backward, small pond kind of thing. But in, in other ways, I think there is something quite important about keeping a distinction about what the charity sector is, what the social sector is, as separate from either the public or the private sector and i think i think there's something really important about the uniqueness of what the sector offers so so there's something about for me less about trying to make us more hom- homogeneous and more about being better at explaining why the sector is unique and special and actually quite exciting place for economists to make that kind of social change that that you're talking about
1: yeah i think that's absolutely right uh, i think permeability is a is a good way of- putting it and i think one of one of the really interesting things is sometimes this sort of conversation with others within the charity sector there is a a sense of okay you you know your pbe your economist can you can you talk to the treasury can you can you use the language of economics and get them to understand just what's going on in this sector and there absolutely is a role for that there's other complications around data as well which we need to fix but i think there's a really interesting point about looking through the other end of the telescope that the sector has something to teach, as I say, economics and policymakers. And the idea that increasingly within mainstream economics, uh, a recognition that it isn't the study of GDP of just you know getting the the fastest possible growth rate you can, but caring about things like sustainability and equality and social values too. And I think increasingly we are starting to see those things come into the uh, economics profession. And most recently you've had, in the Treasury's Green Book, the introduction of the um, guidance on measuring well-being. And so now there is this instruction and route map, if you like, for how government officials, when they're costing things and deciding whether to do plan A or plan B, are taking account of the well-being impact of those things. And that, for me, that is economics. That is not making the subject more woolly or bolting something on. That is core to economics. Economics, at its heart, at its heart, is about working out how, as a society, we organise ourselves in order to achieve the very best outcomes and to constantly be learning and constantly be changing uh, in order to to pursue that and those those outcomes. As I say, should be very rounded and take account of, of everything we care about. And so, the more the profession starts to move into that sort of territory then the more it has to be talking to the social sector and interacting with the social sector and learning from the sexual sector because this is where the organizations the individuals that are already working on this stuff that can provide some lessons about what works and what doesn't work about what the barriers are to achieving more so this idea of yes a sort of the the the, the sectors are distinct but i think they each have something to learn from each other and at the moment this idea that as an economist not many would think of themselves as you know as part of their career path coming into the, the social sector i think that is something that that needs to change and, and hopefully is changing
0: disappointed that uh, you're not going to be the kind of google translate for the sector uh, between us and and the treasury i think quite a lot of us have pinned our hopes on that but but um, there's something interesting about that in terms of, you know, as you say, the green book also social value becoming more recognised in terms of procurement. So it feels like there is a sort of shift within the public sphere towards some of the social Im- impact that the sector has. But it, but it's a it's a kind of slow burn. You're talking about the role of economists in that. What do you think the sector, as charities or, or social enterprises what do, what do we need to do to change? To accelerate that rather than, rather than just hoping that the, the smart mass people will come in and, and tell it like it is, you talked earlier on about stories, how you see economics as providing insight and telling stories. we pride ourselves as a sector on being able to tell good stories. Have we, are we telling the wrong sorts of stories?:
1: So I think there is there, I mean there is a Google Translate role you know, despite that sort of drift, if you like, towards a better version of how this thing works. In the here and now, the very real situation is that the Treasury has a finite amount of money and makes its decisions based on cold hard facts. And so, there is absolutely a need to to play that game a little bit and to have those numbers and be able to tell the story in the right way. But there is, we are we are just very hamstrung. So we put together economic analyses of, of of what's going on. Other people have done have done the same, and they're all very good bits of work. But at some point within them, they all have a slight leap of faith or basically you know, a reasonable assumption because we just don't have very good data in the sector. And that makes them too easy then to dismiss, because if you are sitting in the Treasury, you do have to make difficult choices. And you have two papers in front of you and one of them you're just very familiar with. It's, it's a private sector argument. You understand it. It's what you learned at university. It's um, prices its quantity it makes sense and then the other one sort of makes sense but you know there's a couple of gaps in it and you're sort of thinking you know, oh hang on they would say that wouldn't they so maybe i don't trust it quite so much i've got to choose one of these i'll choose i'll choose this one which i'm comfortable familiar with so that takes you into sort of saying okay so the the, the data is the issue and on that it's just a vicious circle you know, yeah. that, that old adage of um you know what matters get, gets measured Well, we don't do a very good job again going back to the economics profession, within our economic accounts of capturing what the sector does at an aggregate level. So this isn't about the sector itself stepping up, this is about government, ONS, other sort of uh, collators of data, don't do a good enough job of capturing what the sector does. And that then hamstrings the sector, because it can't use data to make its case. And so then that, in the minds of some of those officials, means the sector doesn't matter, and so you don't put any more effort into measuring it again. So it's, it just goes round and round. And so I do think one of the key roles that, that, that we're certainly trying to play at, at PBE is not just to be interpreters and to present economic arguments, but is to deal with that data deficit. Because I think until we do that, we're always going to be you know playing with one arm time to tie behind our back. That said, there is still merit in doing what we can with what we've got. And from the from the sector's perspective, there is, i think putting data at the heart of what this of, of what each individual charity is doing is a really important thing because while you know at an aggregate level yes we want cold hard facts those those stories those anecdotes those different experiences that sort of plurality of experience remains really important because ultimately you know the people making decisions uh yes the officials have a lot of power but it but it is ministers and ministers do respond to, you know, they're human beings and they respond to, to human stories. So I think that that combination of telling the right stories, but, but actively and systematically collecting data so that we can stack up um, what we're saying with, with evidence is important. And I think one of the really interesting things for me, which I hadn't appreciated when I joined PBA. So we, you know, we tell ourselves that in terms of the work we do directly with charities, where we are supporting them to understand their impact we tell ourselves that we're doing that in in order to help them uh, increase their effectiveness and because they can then get a sense of this works or this works really well or this doesn't work quite so well and so you start to change what you do in order to be the best you can be in practice when we talk to organizations afterwards and say what did that do for you the the top answer is always it helped us get more funding and that's really important and i'm really pleased that we can play that role but i would like to us to get to a place where as a sector we're not viewing um collecting data and reporting on our impact as something you do to get funding but as something you do to know yourself and um, to understand you know that, that sort of idea of what is it i am trying to achieve within this organization how what way am i trying to change the world and then monitoring how good a job i'm doing of that and if that's your motivation then you don't necessarily need the data that's going to convince the treasury or even convince the funders you need the data that is right for you for your purpose and that will vary from organization to organization so there's there's dual purposes going on here there's a there's there's an aggregate story and argument about the economic contribution and value of the sector which we and others definitely need to make and where we need to get better data in order to be able to do that and then there is at the individual level um, there's a bit of that, but there's also collecting the right data for you.
0: Slight struggle with this is that, that there is a there is a certain intangibility about some of the work that this sector does that can't necessarily be translated into data, whether it's feelings, emotions, somebody feeling supportive, they're less lonely. You can then say, OK, well, if it's an elderly person, maybe they won't have to rely on the NHS and they won't, you know, they don't need to see the GP and therefore it's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but there is an intangibility that... I think there are concerns that we lose some of that sense of what, as a sector, we offer if we just try and boil it down into bits of data. Is that a concern that people should have, or is that not an issue? Well, I think this
1: goes this goes back to the heart of um, this sort of idea that data, evidence, and ultimately economics is is about more than pounds and pence. Yeah, and so you know again going back to the green book and the the wellbeing measure, those sorts of instances are before and after survey with people that that organisation is working with, which picks up their sense of loneliness, their sense of self-worth, their sense of life satisfaction. There is now the methodology within that, within the, the Green Book, to standardise that measurement. And this is a really important thing is standardising measurements so that we're all sort of working off the same annual, if you like, and, and providing then recognition. So if you're a Treasury official you're being presented with something which your own guidance tells you is legit,
0: mm-hmm. this is
1: this is proper data, um, but it is capturing something which isn't about pounds and pence. Now, there might then be an extra layer, which organisations like PBE can say, okay, so this person is less lonely, he's costing the NHS less money, and etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But at a very sort of fundamental level, just capturing what is happening to that individual's outcomes, and and then using the methodology to convert that into technically is known as a well-being. So it's sort of one extra um what a one point increase for one year in that person's well-being measure. That is now a standardized measure which has you know a government stamp of approval on it. So I think we're moving towards a place where we're never going to be able to capture absolutely everything that every organization does in a in a in a perfect way. But we're moving towards a situation where we can start to capture more and more of those things. And it's harder and harder for officials and others to ignore it because it's Mm. it's becoming standardized, it's becoming mainstream.
0: You you mentioned earlier on the Law Family Commission that that PBE um, uh, has undertaken. Uh, It's a two-year investigation into how we release the power or the potential of of the sector i have to confess shyly that when when i first heard about the law commission i thought me, another commission we've just had do we really need another thing that tells us whether the sector is worth having or not um you know having found out a bit more about it i'm i'm, I'm a convert but can, can you can you just tell us a bit about what that what that commission is and and why you're doing it
1: yeah and that you know that was definitely a, a big consideration for us i spent a good few months before we, before we sort of got to the stage of pressing go on it, touring around uh, people within the sector and beyond actually to to pick brains on you know, is this needed, you know, where would we add value and and got that reaction a lot, you know another one. one. but we we went into it very deliberately and you know spoke with Julia Roman and various others that had run these past commissions to to do a couple of things I think and, and, and definitely in everything we did to stand on the shoulders of what had gone before. So one was to very deliberately use the tools of economics. So everything we've just been talking about, it was, it was a case of saying, OK, here's a commission which is trying to apply the tools and use the language that Treasury and others will understand. But the other was to, was to sort of elevate the argument in a way and mainstream it. So looking at all of the past um, commissions and studies and reviews that have gone on, they all had really useful elements in them. But they were talking to quite specific audiences. It felt like so the civil society's uh, future futures was felt to me like it was the it was the sector uh, trying to understand itself and to um, sort of almost drop a manifesto for how it should behave going forward. The um, civil society strategy that the government ran great, but it was all about what should government do for the sector. We deliberately wanted to do something which was saying, can we sort of break down in some ways this kind of idea of the sector as being other, as being a residual, as being, if you are within the heart of government and you're thinking about how do you build a better Britain, your usual debate is how much much role do we give to the market and how much role do we give to the state? And then there's a bunch of stuff which falls through the cracks and some charities will pick that up. We wanted to sort of create a, a parity across the three pillars and say, actually, no, if you want to build a better Britain, you absolutely have to put civil society at the heart of your debate. And so the commissioners we've drawn in are from the um, social sector, but also from the public and from the private. And they are providing us obviously with great advice and a steer as we as we go through the work, but we're hoping as well that there'll be advocates beyond the conclusion and that they will, you know, within their own networks, start to take take the, the, the sort of insight and the lessons uh, and, and propagate them. For me ultimately i would love us to be in a position where we come up with over the course of the two years let's say 30 recommendations and let's say 10 of them in some form or other get taken forward and they're not all recommendations for government some of them might be recommendations for the sector some of them might be recommendations for businesses great but beyond that the thing i really want the prize i would really like to have is to make it so that it is unacceptable for any serious politician, policymaker in the UK to be able to stand up and talk about the future of the country and exclude and ignore the social sector. And you know, I remember back, doing this back at um, Resolution Foundation in 2010 when we did a Living Standards Commission. And the biggest thing that came out of it after two years was that every single one of the party leaders at their sort of party conference in 2012 when we concluded built their speeches around the idea of helping people on lower incomes we disagreed with lots of the policies that that they had but that's fine at least they were tackling the problem and so for the commission to have a sort of an enduring impact today's leaders tomorrow's leaders the, the sort of brains within the political parties and indeed you know future business leaders and future social sector leaders to to just have this change of attitude this sense of i might not fully understand this thing uh, i might not like everything it does But it's important and I should pay attention to it and I should bake it into my thinking. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but that's that's what I would like the commission to be able to do. And then from a PBE perspective, we're not going to present the commission and then disappear. We want to present the commission and then retain our ability to do more research work, more policy work. So it sort of almost sets the the work programme for our organisation for the next four, four or five years.
0: I don't think that sounds like wishful thinking. I think that sounds like a, a really uh, uh, important ambition and uh, um, and one that would be really exciting to to see come to life. You mentioned earlier on, earliest you know, in our conversation, that you didn't feel comfortable being called an economist. You're now a CEO. Do you, do you feel comfortable being called a chief exec? And, and 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 what's it been like to sort of take over the helm of of something in such a troubled, you know, such a difficult time where Fundamentally, you're trying to, I suppose, help to rebrand a sector in a sense.
1: It's been uh it's been fun uh and helped by having a great team. And because we were launching the commission and sort of got a bit of funding behind that, also able to bring in some some new team members. So it wasn't just me finding my way. That's added to a sort of sense of excitement. So within the organization, there is this sense of something really interesting happening here, and we're all sort of pulling in the same direction. And one of the things we were very keen to do. Uh, and I've been fortunate to work alongside very good chief execs throughout my career, uh, learning from them this idea of making sure you have a sort of a rock upon which you're standing. And so as the organisation was growing and changing and doing new things, And then, of course, as the circumstances changed with COVID, it felt very important to make sure that we all knew what we were about. So we spent quite a bit of time last year looking at our vision, looking at our mission, looking at our values. So now, even though I talk about us doing the micro and the macro and doing different things in different parts of the organization, everybody has a clear line of sight back to why they're doing it and how it feeds into the mission and the vision. So that's, that's felt like a really important thing. At a sort of personal level, I suppose, the, the, the trickiest thing or the most different thing for, for me has been previously, you know, in, in leadership roles at, at Resolution and, and elsewhere, I was, I was very much managing people who I could look them in the eye and say, well, I've been where you, where you are. I've done what you do. I can offer you very practical support on you know, how to do what you're doing uh, better. Now, as chief exec, obviously working with lots of people who are doing things that I don't have a clue about whether that's fundraising, whether that's service delivery, whether that's um, designing budgets. And so that inability to be able to say, ah, I know how to do this is, is challenging, but actually uh, surprise, you know, I would say, yeah, surprisingly sort of easy to transition into that because in a sense, what, I, what I've sort of done at Resolution and, and I've definitely done at PBE is to say, let's invest in people and in processes and then let the magic happen. So rather than me trying to have my fingers in every single pie and control everything that's going out the door, recruit good people, train good people, develop good people, trust them, create good processes, create the vision, mission and values that everybody buys into and is sort of playing off the same sheet and let those control the the quality and the consistency and the coherency of what you're doing. And, And that seems to be working. It's been fun. It is challenging. The the and the fundraising element is definitely um is definitely not fun and remains a challenge. And now that we are a bigger organization, maintaining that going forward is going to be more difficult. But that's that's you know, I think that's a that's a really sort of useful skill to develop. And actually this idea of being clear about what we're about, what we're doing, is at the heart of that fundraising ask as well. So it it all it all it all joins up eventually.
0: Yeah, I think that that sense of sort of setting the North Star and Making sure everybody's compasses are aligned is, is so important to underpin you know, all of our activity and then, and then, as you say, just get the right people in place to to drive it forward. You talked about a sense of excitement in the organization, you've got new, new blood. the commission is a, um, a really interesting piece of work. Are you hopeful for the future? Are you, are you sort of excited for for what comes next What's, what What gives you hope for, for tomorrow
1: and, and, and the months and weeks and years ahead yeah i mean i am, I'm, I'm naturally. An optimist which i think partly is uh, about being sort of quite patient or laid back or some people might might say lazy i don't know so i, I do take a long view this sort of you know the, the economist keen john Keynes, famously said you know in the long run we're all dead and and my take on that is more in the long run we'll solve everything
0: it's a cheerier uh, <laughs> it's a cheerier uh, version uh, isn't it right yeah
1: it's uh, you know can we solve all of the world's problems not yet um but one day we will human beings are incredibly uh, inventive and innovative and great at adapting. And I think in some ways that the pandemic has highlighted that yet again, and particularly within our sector. You look at that sort of innovation that is going on, the adaptability when we were running our, our COVID tracker survey right back at the start of the pandemic. And of course, everybody was was very pessimistic and, uh, and rightly so, it was a terrible time and terrible challenges, which were by no means through yet. But of course, you know, now, 18 months on, most of those organizations haven't just sort of survived, but they've adapted and they've, they've found new ways of doing what they're doing. New organizations have sprung up to deal with new problems. So the fact that we're constantly able to reinvent ourselves to meet the new challenges that spring up just makes me think, you know, sort of unbreakable. That has a, has a downside because, you know, other people recognize that and put too much on us and don't support us enough uh, and think, well, they'll always exist. So, we, you know, we don't really need to get involved too much. But ultimately we are, we're unbreakable and we we will prevail. So I am optimistic, and I, I think particularly, going back to what we were saying earlier, because as an economist, I see that profession changing. I see the focus changing. I see the beyond GDP discussion growing ever louder. Uh, and that brings the social sector more and more into play and, and ultimately brings, I think, an outcomes, the right outcome focus more and more into play to the heart of our policy making. I think that is that is a reason for, for for great optimism.
0: Brilliant! Thank you so much, Matt. It's been uh, it's been fascinating chatting. I think to end on the unbreakability of the sector is a really positive positive way to, uh, to to finish. So thank you very much for joining me today. It's been it's been a pleasure.
1: No, it's been a pleasure for me too. Really enjoyed it.
0: This was leadership worth sharing. The podcast by and for civil society leaders. Thanks for listening and we'll meet again in a few weeks. If you want to know more about Akivo, check out our website, akivo.org.uk. That's a c e v UK. And follow us on Twitter, twitter.com/akivo. Bye.